It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. All right, boys and girls, we are back with another edition of the Ben Domenech Podcast brought to you by Fox News. You can check out all of our podcasts at foxnewspodcast.com. I hope that you will rate, review, and subscribe to this one and share it with a friend if you find it of interest. Today, we had something pretty incredible happen in the politics of the UK where we saw the resignation of Liz Truss, who becomes uh, the shortest uh, prime minister in terms of uh, the, her period of time in office uh, that Britain has ever seen. It was an incredible series of events that led to her uh, elevation and then a uh, very short uh, tenure and departure. Uh, and it has to do a lot with the different proposals that she put forward as it regards uh, the economy, taxation, and the like, policies that ultimately she backed off of, uh, showing perhaps uh, her weakness in a very early way and an inability to communicate around policies that had conservatives very worried. Now we have a potential return of Boris Johnson, uh, potentially a, a new face uh, in uh, some of the other potential uh, p- candidates for PM. And for all of this, we have Kara Kennedy, a staff writer at The Spectator, who guides us through what's going on when it comes to this incredible political event. Kara Kennedy coming up next. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Kara Kennedy, thank you so much for taking the time to join me again. Obviously, this is a very interesting moment when it comes to the political scene in the U.K., what happened to Liz Truss? Uh, yes, Ben. In just over one week, we're about to see our fifth Conservative Prime Minister in just six years. It's a really catastrophic time of British politics right now, especially when you consider that yesterday in the House of Commons at Prime Minister's Questions, we saw Liz Truss say, I'm a fighter, not a quitter. Uh, less than 24 hours later, um, that's aged as badly as anything can because she formally resigned as Prime Minister earlier today. Uh, The timeline is kind of weird. Um, I'm not going to say that nobody saw this coming, but nobody saw this coming so quickly. Um, But I think yesterday really, really was the kind of straw that broke the camel's back. And throughout the day, we saw stuff um, kind of get worse and worse. Um, You know, one of the things that uh, I think Americans really uh, don't have in terms of their perspective on this uh, is because they barely got the chance to even know who Liz Truss was, they may not understand uh, the different factors that led to her, uh, you know, having the shortest period of, of any prime minister. So tell me, if you can, what some of those major factors were. Well, I'll go through a kind of quick timeline, but... Um... It all kind of kicked off because of the budget. Uh, So originally when Liz Truss came to office, she um, gave Kwasi Kwarteng the job as Chancellor. That's kind of where the rot started, when he released plans for the mini-budget, 
Um, they were very growth heavy. They wanted to jumpstart the British economy. But since then, they have admitted that they went too hard, kind of too fast. Uh, so the mini budget that was released, God, it feels like years ago now, but released a few weeks ago included 45 billion in unfunded tax cuts over five years. Um, it was dubbed Prethonomics in the UK, and it was a total disaster in terms of markets. Global markets responded by literally selling off British-backed assets. Uh, the pound fell to its lowest ever level against the US dollar. Quartang was fired just three weeks later with Jeremy Hunt appointed in his place. Um, since then, basically every, uh, every announcement has been um, U-turned on. Uh, apart from a few, but if Liz Truss did have any kind of supporters after that budget was announced, she lost them when she U-turned. I think that was a big issue. It was, oh, if you're going to be big and brave, then that's fine, but you have to stick by it. Um, it kind of calmed down then, and then yesterday was a big thing. So I'll, I'll do like a little timeline. Sure. So in the morning, uh, she did PMQs. Well, midday, she did PMQs. Like I said, she said she was a fighter, not a quitter. Soon after that, Home Secretary Suella Braverman was fired and published a really brutal resignation letter after being forced to step down as Home Secretary. On a technicality, uh, the official line from Downing Street is that she was sacked for sending documents from her personal phone, but... Uh, nobody really bought that. There was rumours flying around about disagreements with immigration policy, particularly student visas. Um, then in the evening, things got worse. Um, the Commons was in total mayhem. MPs alleged that ministers were actually physically pulled um, into voting lobbies. There was a vote on fracking. The Tories did win uh, by 326 votes, but it was tarnished by the claims of intimidation and bullying. Then, if it could get worse, it, what it did, uh, this was topped off by Conservative MP Charles Walker, who told the BBC Live in a really, really visceral statement that the day was a pitiful reflection of the Conservative Party and added that there was no coming back from it. Um, and he, said, he added that he had been of that view for about two weeks. Um, as that was happening, more and more Tory MPs were putting in letters of no confidence so that happens when members of the party essentially lose faith in their leader. And mm. you need 54 Tory MPs to submit letters before what's called a vote of no confidence will be held. We don't really know uh, 100% how many letters went in. I think it was about half that. I think it was like 25-ish. Mm. But Sir Graham Brady, who is the head of the 1922 committee, which oversees the vote of no confidence, was seen going into number 10 this morning. That's what really showed signs that this was the end. Uh, basically, essentially, when, when Graham Brady goes to see you and announced, it's like the Grim Reaper coming to see you. You know, you're kind of mm -hmm. gone. You know, that's, uh, uh, that's a great timeline and, and helpful. You know, I'm interested in the, in the Braverman uh, letter part of this. Um, it, you know, they, they had, as you said, sort of this hand-waving explanation uh, for why she was gotten rid of. Um, you know, what's your own perspective on what was going on there? And, and was that kind of in, in terms of an, an indication of the decay of support for trust? Uh, do you think that that was kind of a critical moment? Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, quasi being sacked was a big thing as Chancellor. 
basically, as a prime minister without your chancellor, you're kind of a bit screwed. Uh, and then Home Secretary, a really important, um, really important person, uh, being sacked or well. There were kind of issues in the beginning when, when Suella went. Uh, first, the line was that she had stepped down. Then Downing Street did come out and say that she was fired for this kind of technicality. Um, I mean, the British people aren't stupid. They they know that that um, there was more to this story. And I think that the, the um, student visa line is probably true. I mean, Suella takes a hard stance on um, immigration. Liz Truss believes in growth. So she thinks that by bringing... Uh, more and more people into the UK, then you can kind of kickstart the economy. Apparently, there was about an hour and a half screaming match between the two. Um, so, yeah, I would go with the line that um, that Downing Street kind of tried to cover that up a bit with the with the official line. But yeah, I think immigration was at the heart of the of their fallout. Uh, so in terms of, I want to get to you know sort of what happens next, but before we move off of it. As you think about these economic proposals and the impact that they had, uh, the the general frame that's being adopted by some American commentators uh, is that this is a warning against uh, old approaches, uh, Reagan-Thatcher approaches to uh, economic policy, that essentially uh, these were perhaps growth-focused policies, but they were out of step with what people wanted, you know, whether you're using the explanation of this as kind of a supply side approach in America, you know, it would be most identified with, with Paul Ryan's tax policy, which he advocated for and, and successfully passed under president Trump. Um, there's this been this running critique that like, these are policies from the 1980s that haven't been updated for the challenges of the current economy. Do you think that that was what was going on there? Or was this a situation where, Trust just by dint of perhaps not having that ability to fight or the the urgency to fight the willingness to to take the slings and arrows on behalf of this policy, you know, is this more a failure of policy or more a failure of the person for the moment not standing up for what they were at, what they were advocating for and what their own team had come up with? I think it's the latter. Certainly, I think that Liz Truss's biggest failure is her failure to communicate. I don't think that the economic budget was a terrible thing. Um, Quasi is extremely intelligent. I mean, he worked in the city for years. Um, and Liz Trust said from the beginning, we need to be brave and we need to be bold. Um, because otherwise, the Conservative Party uh, in the business of managing decline. And that's nobody wants that. The issue is that she failed to communicate with the British public what had to happen. I mean, if she would have stood there and said, look, guys, we really have no choice. We need to be brave. We need we need to make decisions now. We need growth. We need. Um, I mean, as a Conservative Party, fundamentally, you want to cut taxes, right? You you want to grow an economy a sound pound. And I think that she was able to to do that in terms of um, in the budget with, with her ideas. But I think the failure was was to let the British people know what she was going to do and what would have been a result of that. I mean, um, the markets uh, being such a disaster after that, was some of it was down to the fact that she didn't communicate to anybody what she was doing. Um, and then you get the total U-turn after that. When, when, Quasi, um, when Quasi was fired, she said, 
she made no apology for the fact that this was her economic policy. She kind of tried to throw the blame on him. Uh, I mean, they did it together, and I think that that was the issue. It was the lack of communication and then the lack of admitting that um, this was her policy and that these were her, her ideas, and instead she kind of threw him under the bus. Speaking of lack of communication, you have her come out and give this speech, which is shocking in its uh, brevity uh, in terms of, of her leaving the scene. Um, it was basically just coming out and saying, I can't do this job. I have, you know, I, I don't have the confidence uh, to do this job. I'm leaving now. <laughs> and and it just it had this bizarre quality to it. Uh, you know, is that kind of a demonstration of this is just a situation where she was not up to the uh, a shift from someone who basically got his job by dint of his communication skills in Boris to someone who uh, got the job in spite of them uh, was just too much of a uh, of sort of a screeching halt for the way that people were used to uh, the the approach used by their top leadership well I think her, her resignation speech was the only thing uh, quicker than an actual tenure as prime minister. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, and this is why now the calls for Boris Johnson kind of makes sense. Um, like I said, Liz's biggest failure was her failure to communicate. She can't speak. She's not a very good public speaker at all. Um, and Boris seems the most attractive person for that right now. I mean, he can make you laugh and he can at least communicate what he's trying to say. He might not do it, but he said he, he'll say it. Um, yeah, and um, the one thing I will say about Liz Truss's speech is she did kind of admit that she didn't have the mandate, which I think was good. Um, mm -hmm. I think there was a, a big lack of self-awareness for the other parts of her speech, but at least she said, I, can't, I don't have the mandate to do this. So I kind of respect her for that, at least. Mm -hmm. uh, the... Uh, folks who came in behind Liz Truss include uh, uh, Rishi Sunak and uh, Penny Mordaunt. Um, do you expect both of them to try to make a go of it again? I think Penny has already announced that she will. Uh, I mm -hmm. saw on a Twitter earlier she put up one of the kind of PR pitches, vote for PM for PM. Uh, so I think she's already in the leadership. I mean, the bookies now are saying that Rishi Sunak will be the favourite. I don't really know about that because what the Tories are desperately trying to scramble for now is the person that can get some kind of um, hold on the party and some kind of unity candidate. Uh, I think Rishi Sunak is probably one of the most divisive candidates in the party mm -hmm. right now. Penny is... Liz Truss made a big mistake by sending Penny into one of the sessions of PMQs because what that showed... <clears throat> sorry, was how good of a public speaker Penny is and how well she can hold herself in the face of Keir Starmer and the opposition. Uh, so that was probably a mistake on Truss's side because Penny is really, really good at public speaking. Also, there's been claims that Boris is going to stand. Uh, and I spoke to a few uh, Tory MPs earlier who said that uh, on the party's behalf, this would be the best choice because... It, by bringing Boris back, it kind of looks better than having three in, individual prime ministers in a year. And they can kind of say, oh, we made a mistake and we've undone it. Uh, there's also people saying that Boris has saved his time and paid the price. And he is kind of the only one that's won a general election and has a personal mandate and will be able to prevent calls 
for a general election, which is the a, biggest thing that they face right now. Yeah, it does seem like th that rationale that sort of Boris represents a reset. He's the most recent person to actually have a mandate. And it's basically a, a do-over. There is some political case to be made for that argument. Um, uh, as And, you know, I think that even, you know, as soon as he departed, there were people, myself included, saying that, you know, he didn't sound like someone who, uh, you know, had no intentions of coming back. That being said, you know, he's on the speaking circuit and he's in the Caribbean, or at least he was in the Caribbean yesterday. I think um, he's back. I've heard rumors that he's on his way back. <laughs> that's it's not it's not it's not quite the same as uh as uh, cincinnatus but but let's uh, let's take it um the uh, with rishi uh why is he explain for the american listeners why he's so controversial so with rishi um his leadership campaign was the exact opposite as liz press's he was the kind of face that everybody knew. Um, obviously, he was the chancellor alongside Boris, so he was probably the most popular or like well-known candidate in the leadership election. Um, but economically, he was the complete opposite to Liz Truss. He didn't want to lower taxes. He wanted to first get um, a grip on inflation, and that's kind of what led his campaign. So... The issue that I have now is with Rishi is if Liz Trust was brought in knowing that she was going to do kind of crazy, wild, brave things with the economy, how can we go to Rishi that had the total opposite and wanted to kind of do the um, sensible thing, get a grip on inflation and then start to grow the economy afterwards? Mm -hmm. um, and then with with Penny is sort of the case there. If uh, if Tress's failure was one of communication, um, then let's at least have a, someone who can be a good communicator for the coalition. Um, you know, if even facing sort of the new challenge of of you know having to having to find that mandate uh, within the next year. Well, interesting that Penny was a, is a great public speaker and her job that Liz Truss gave her in Cabinet was um, was to be head of the Accession Council, I think. Uh, well, mm -hmm. anyway, during the Queen's death and the Accession Council that saw Charles sworn in as king, um, she was the one doing all the public speaking for that and she was absolutely flawless. I mean, there were so many people saying, wow, she did such a great job Obviously, they were totally unprepared for the Queen's death, and Penny seemed to um, win over kind of public um, public love uh, by a landslide with the fact that she was so well presented and, and could communicate so well. But also, I mean, Boris, it, like if this is just on public speaking alone, Boris is a great uh, public speaker, and if he does return. I think that nobody will really be able to challenge him. I mean, he has the mandate of the country and maybe he will be the most secure and powerful PM for it. Uh, if if he kind of comes in and saves the day after Liz Truss's absolute mm -hmm. catastrophic, what was it, 30-something days in power, um, then maybe this could be a big win for him. So uh, one kind of counterfactual to consider is... If the Queen had not died when she did, do you think that Truss would still be in the same position? 
or was the fact that she died when she did and basically squelch any kind of agenda push or anything that, that you know trust had planned um uh that was that kind of a critical blow uh to her ability to survive i don't know i haven't actually thought about that i think she came into power at a time of political and kind of chaos just in general um the queen's death absolutely blew the country apart. Uh, but do I think that that is part of her downfall? I don't think so. I think mm. I think the one thing that is her downfall is the fact that her and Kwasi Kwarteng announced this kind of um, once in a in a generation budget that blew the markets for like mm-hmm. not the socks off of the markets. And I think that her failure to communicate what she was going to do with the British public is kind of the sole reason that she has to go, um, that she had to go. Uh, well, she even said in her speech, I don't have the mandate to, to do these things I've done. Um, <clears throat> they had the mandate to do the stuff that they said that they were going to do in 2019. This is not what, what they said then. So she's right. She, she doesn't have the, the, the backing of the country. So um, we either need a general election or we need the person that did have the backing of the country. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the mood of the conservatives you're talking to, is it one of just chaos and despair or is it one of relief that they don't have to deal with this scenario? Well, I think yesterday it was just crazy. I mean, they were really seasoned political um, editors saying, this is the most catastrophic day of my career. It was literally one thing after another. Um, like it just couldn't have got worse. I mean, when you had that MP talking to the BBC saying this was pitiful and there's no coming back from it, that shows the, or shows the mood of the party. Maybe now there's a bit more kind of calm that she's gone because mm-hmm. everything was being exasperated by the fact that uh, her MPs were dropping like flies in terms of supporting her. I mean, that's just so embarrassing that you've got somebody on TV saying this is pitiful. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really angry at my party and there's no coming back from it. That is, the, the game is up at that point. Um, so, yeah, I think maybe today there's a bit more kind of calm just in the last few hours. I mean, obviously, people are gearing up already. Um, I just heard Bob Seeley, who's an MP on the radio, saying that he was back in Penny if she, if she was going to run. So I think they're ready to kind of get behind somebody else, the unity candidate that can save the party. Uh, what we've just been told by Sir Graham Brady is that uh, uh, front runners will need um, the backing of 100 MPs. That's quite a lot. Um, <laughs> and if it, it could be, it's a total possibility that maybe only one candidate will get that, that 100 yeah. um, MPs backing them. So it could be chosen in the next few days. It, it could go to next week, but I don't think it will It will last the week that it's meant to last. I think that, mm-hmm. that there's only a few people that it could be. I mean, Boris, Rishi, Penny, mm-hmm. that's about it. And the first person to get these 100 back, backers kind of wins. What what a whirlwind, whirlwind situation, uh, but also one uh, that I think speaks to the speed at which uh, modern politics and social media uh, drive opinion now in ways that, you know, previously were never really thought possible. 
Um, it's pretty amazing to see. Well, this is what's interesting. So you had all of the broadsheets, the Telegraph, the Mail, kind of saying Liz is the only person that can do this. Within mm-hmm. a month, you had um, the, uh, there was an editorial in the Telegraph yesterday saying Liz Truss must go. I mean, the 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 sheer shift in in opinion and kind of backing has been so quick that I don't think anybody really saw it coming, even after the complete. Uh, show that was yesterday nobody really saw that it would happen today i mean there were mps saying that she would be out by christmas or she had a few weeks left but i don't think anybody really thought that it would happen today until graham brady was seen going into number 10 that was really the grim reaper kind of situation what a uh, amazing uh, circumstance and thank you for filling us all in on it kara thank you more of the ben dominish podcast right after this One of the interesting lessons I think that some people are taking away, including my friend Henry Olson over at the Washington Post and other writers here in America, is that the approach Liz Truss had uh, had more in common with the kind of Reagan-Thatcher growth and supply-side economic proposals of the past. Not enough when it came to reaching out to people in their current climate of, of, uh, you know, struggles with inflation and uh, economic concerns that they have in this current moment. This is probably something that's going to feed into the way that people frame what happens in November in the United States. They're going to be uh, going after, I think, a number of different policies when it comes to the new Republican majorities that we expect, uh, certainly that I expect, within the House and uh, within the Senate. But the truth is that much of uh, the uh, the way that our current structure exists in America is going to prevent the kind of policies that these uh, Republicans might want to pursue when it comes to any conservative approaches to taxation or economic growth uh, that are at odds with the Joe Biden White House. It's really going to be dependent on how many senators they have and whether they're able to pull away some of the senators who are up in 2024 uh, or who have their own concerns because of, of the position that they're in, given the state of the economies in their states, in order to try to make any kind of progress. Even with a significant House majority, as we've seen in the past, really all you can do is behave as if you're still in the minority. You don't have the ability to advance the kind of economic policies that Americans might deem to be you know, ideal in this moment. That's going to create a challenge for Kevin McCarthy and for the rest of the Republican leadership team. Uh, as much as they are disliked by some factions of the conservative movement, they are likely going to be given one of the largest majorities that we've seen Republicans have uh, perhaps in 90 years. Uh, you could uh, certainly uh, rival some of the, the uh, majorities of the past two decades, uh, but it could be even bigger than that. And that's something that I think is going to present both uh, an opportunity and a challenge for Republicans. The challenge is that they're not going to be able to put in place the kind of economic policies uh, that they'd like. They can do oversight. They can block things that the Biden administration proposes. They can uh, attempt to you know, throw up all sorts of different uh, blockades against some of the steps that he's taken 
when it comes to, you know, say student uh, loan uh, forgiveness uh, and other inflationary steps that he uh, has engaged in. Uh, and of course, they can push back against the nominations from the Senate side uh, that the president is going to put forward and even perhaps take the step of impeaching someone like Alexander Mayorkas, the incredibly unpopular Homeland Security Secretary. But I think that one of the things that people need to uh, understand about this is that it, this is not a, a majority that is going to be able to push through the kind of economic policies that people would like to see happen in order to right the ship when it comes to the, the number one issues that people care about. You know, when it comes to crime, when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, funding the police and the like, that's something that the governors are going to determine, you know, not the Senate or the House. When it comes to border issues, there the Republicans can, uh, you know, provide oversight and, as I said, perhaps go after Mayorkas, uh, exert some pressure on the Biden administration that hasn't existed to this point. But again, thinking that they're going to have a massive ability to change policy is just not the case. That's not the way that the structure of government works. Uh, given all of that, uh, I think that what conservatives are going to have to do is start coming in with the attitude of we're going to behave as if we're still in the minority because we are when it comes to power within Washington. We're going to push back in all manner of ways. We're going to block as many things that are proposed. We're going to you know, slap GAO store, uh, studies on things that are, are sent our way and send them back across. Uh, and that's something that I think is unfortunate, but it is the way that our government works. People may look at this and say, you know, two years after they arrive, similarly to what we saw in 2012 for Republicans, hey, we elected you to exact, you know, dramatic change, and you really haven't been able to achieve all that much. And that's why I think the opportunity there is to push the line on what they can achieve. That includes, from my perspective, perhaps shutting down different agencies or using the power of the purse in ways that are more aggressive and that go after these issues, especially given the fact that the president uh, has seen so fit to you know, toss any kind of norms or any kind of uh, regulatory burden away when it comes to his own priorities. That's something that's going to be a real test for Republicans and holding a coalition together on that, especially one that's going to include a lot of new people who have not held elected federal office before is going to be, I think, a very interesting challenge uh, that all of these new faces are going to face in short order. I'm Ben Dominich. You've been listening to another edition of the Ben Dominich podcast. We'll be back soon with more to dive back into the first. Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.